The following message is by Reggie Ramos of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, ICC. If you have your Bibles, um, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 146. Today I'd like to share a message um, with you entitled, A Life of Praise, as you can see on the slides. If you don't have your Bible, uh, the verses will be shined on the screen. But follow along as I read uh, this psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are and even who this passage describes you to be. We pray that you would open up our eyes to see you as the psalmist saw you. We pray that you would build in us, grow in us faith that would enable us to praise you all of our days. We entrust this time to you when we pray for your Holy Spirit to work. Uh, We pray that your people uh, would be turned to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it has been my privilege to serve the body of Christ in the ministry of praise for over 20 years. Many of you know me. I'm more, um, more comfortable behind a guitar than a pulpit. Um, But I've served in many contexts, whether churches, small groups, retreats, revivals, weddings, even funerals in the ministry of praise. And so as this is the last Sunday with you uh, before our family moves on to the next chapter that God has for us, I wanted to share with you um, the place of praise in the Christian's life and how God calls us to live lives of praise. And uh, I ask you to pray for me um, uh, that I can get through this message, (laughs) as many of you may know and understand what might happen. Um, Pray that it wouldn't get ugly. It's okay if tears flow, but let it not get ugly, like ugly cry kind of thing. 
Um, I believe this is a very timely message for us because we are all heading into uncharted territory, unfamiliar ground. ICC is in transition, and my family is in transition. Transition and change. (laughs) There we go. Transition and change are not always easy. Not everyone does well in the midst of change. And perhaps you feel anxious or you may feel, fear, feel fearful, overwhelmed, maybe discouraged in the face of the unknown and the unfamiliar. And oftentimes in such times, we feel like we need peace, right? We need that calm to come over us because um, our minds, our thoughts are scattered and racing to all sorts of things. Or we think we need a plan, a strategy to get us through. Or maybe we think, you know, you know what we got to do? We got to pray. Now, none of these are bad things. Peace is good. Plans are good. Prayer, of course, is good. But I want to submit to you today that perhaps what we need most and what we need first in this moment, the thing that will lead us to peace that we desire, the thing that will lead to effective prayer and effective planning is to praise God. A heart of praise, a life of praise. That's what I want to talk about today from the text. But before we dive into it, I want to talk with you a little bit about the book of Psalms in general since I'm sharing from Psalm 146. The word psalm, in, in, in trans, translated into the Greek, is the word song, song, like sing a song. And translated into Hebrew, it's praise, praises. And the book of psalms was to be used in public worship. Whenever God's people gathered, they broke out the book of psalms, and it served as a songbook for the worshiping people of God. And I like what it says in the ESV study Bible notes. It says this, These songs cover a wide range of experiences and emotions and give God's people the words to express these emotions to bring these experiences before God. At the same time, the Psalms do not simply express emotions. When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. Within the Psalms, we find an honesty of expression whether it be love for God, sorrow over sin, dependence in times of desperation, fear, insecurity, anxiety, doubt, uncertainty, gratitude, confidence, even envy, loneliness, you name it, you can find that experience somehow depicted in a psalm and in a song that is given in this book. So there's an honesty of expression that we can find in the book of Psalms, and yet there's also an openness to be reshaped in a Godward direction. Because sometimes you'll find Psalms where somebody's really struggling with envy. Psalm 73, why in the midst of me trying to be faithful, God, do the unfaithful people prosper? And yet there's a turn eventually. So there's the expression of anger, envy, disappointment, Frustration, and yet a turn. The Psalms speak to every meaningful matter and issue of our lives. 
But I want to highlight one way that the Psalms as a whole, all 150 of them, teach us the place of praise in the life of God's people. One way that the whole book of Psalms teaches us this is how, in how they are divided into, uh, how they are divided or arranged. If you didn't know, the 150 Psalms are divided into five books. Psalms 1 to 41, then 42 to 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and then 107 to 150. And it's interesting because the way, the, the way in this, which this was divided was the last verse in the last psalm of each of these books ends in a doxology, a praise to God. Psalm 41, verse 13 says, Blessed, this is the last verse in that psalm, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. It closes the book. Then Psalm 72, 19, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll show you that they're there. Every one of these books ends in this doxology, this statement of praise to God. And what I think all of this suggests as, it, as it's like, you know, as the people of God read each book and as they saw the, all of their emotional experiences being expressed from lament, from repentance to all of these different things, every single book culminated in praise. No matter what they went through as they sang those songs, every book ended in praise. All kinds of experiences, both good and bad, but no matter what you go through, it ends in a culmination of praise. And that's what our lives are to be as well. In this life, life is not easy. Everybody knows that. But whatever we face, we do have in the book of Psalms experiences to share and then to, to look to God in, to be Godward in. And yet no matter what, it ought to bring us in the end to a place where we can praise his name and give him glory at the end of the chapter. I consider today to be an ending to a chapter. And yes, it has been an emotionally difficult time for us, for our family to, to say goodbye uh, to the church. Uh, yet as I've, been, I've had the opportunity to gather with uh, many of you just even over a meal in the recent weeks, there has been so much to be thankful for. So much that we've witnessed together of God's work and God's love and God's grace in our lives such that despite this, we can still end this chapter on a high note of praise. Amen? So the divisions teach us this. But not only that, oh, man, this thing is going slow. You guys are cheating on me. You're looking at my next point. Not only do the divisions uh, speak of this issue of praise, but when we get to the last five psalms of the whole Psalter, Psalms 146 to 150, these are known as the final Hallel of the Psalter, where each of the psalms begins and ends with the declaration, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. So there, Psalm 146, it starts with praise the Lord and it ends with praise the Lord. 147 starts with praise the Lord and ends with, all right, 48, 148 starts with and ends with praise the Lord. 149 and 150 starts with and ends with praise the Lord. 
And I think that even this sort of serves as a testimony to us that the people of God need to be careful to give credit where credit is due. For every mountain that God has brought us over, for every valley that he has seen us through, every morning that we wake up and breathe another breath, every morsel of food that we've been blessed with on our table, every ounce of strength and measure of health and drop of gas in our gas tank, we ought to give praise. But it's not just praise, it's praise whom? Praise the Lord. There's a specific object to our praise. Praise the Lord. Everything in life ought to begin and end and be wrapped in praise. I think that's the testimony of these final psalms. When we wake up in the morning and at the end of the day, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When we pull into the parking lot at work, we praise the Lord. And at the end of the day, maybe despite the tiredness, despite the office politics, we pray, praise the Lord that I was able to make it through another day. When we send our kids off to school in today's world, we praise the Lord. When they make it home safely, we praise the Lord. All of life ought to be surrounded by the praise of God for everything, with everything, in spite of everything, going through everything. We should praise the Lord because it is in, in, in Him that we put our trust. That's what the book of Psalms is saying to us. And yet, also, as we turn to the specific psalm for today, Psalm 146, that's what the psalmist is exemplifying and challenging us with. Look at these verses. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You hear that? He's talking about not just a moment of praise, an instance of praise, but he's talking about a life of praise. As long as I live and while I have my being, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing songs of praise to him. He's talking about a, law, a life of praise. But let me clarify. Living a life of praise is not just talking about, uh, you know that, that person who always seems to be like superficially happy that kind of annoys you sometimes? Like, you know what, they don't know. the. I mean, they always say praise God, praise God, praise whatever. But man, like they don't know what I'm going through. You know that person? Do you know that person? That you're like, ah, you know, once they go through a little bit of struggle, maybe that smile will get wiped off their face or something like that. Life is not talking about just, a life of praise is not just talking about, you know, just think positive or look on the bright side or always be happy. I think we all know that that is, that's not what it's talking about here. Experientially, we know that can't be it, God. I want to offer to you, as I was meditating about, on this, I want to offer to you that there are two ways to experience praise. And the first one I want to call the overflow of praise. Ah, this thing is ruining my style. The overflow of praise. And you know this. It's when you feel like it. 
and when you want to, right? It overflows. It's not a problem. It's not a difficulty. I mean, you're there, right? That's the overflow of praise. But this is not what our life of praise is supposed to be, I want to argue today. I think that's not necessarily true to the Christian life. And we're not going to get to a point while we breathe in this earth that this is going to be, oh yeah, everything is just an overflow of praise. I don't think so. But then the second experience of praise is this, the discipline of praise. This is when you don't feel like it. How many of you, when you come to Sunday mornings, don't feel like praising? Many times. Any honest people in the congregation? None. Wow, oh, thank you. Thank you, Richard. (laughs) There's a lot of times when we don't feel like praising. But it's not this. This The discipline of praise isn't, I have to, or I'm supposed to, so I will. No. That... That's praising with a closed heart and just doing it out of, you know, obligation. But instead, the discipline of praise is, I need to. You know why? Because I can't see God right now. The problems look so big. My sin looks so huge. I can't overcome it. I feel hopeless. I can't see God. And so I need to. Praise God. And I will praise God. I won't feel it, but I will. You see, we're so wrapped up into this whole, you have to feel it for it to be honest, for it to be acceptable. But that's not what the scripture says. Why would the psalmist say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul? He's telling himself, he's gearing himself up to praise. Why? Because he probably can't feel it at the moment. And there are many times in his life when he has to encourage himself to do so. Because he doesn't feel he's in that place where God is so huge and is worthy of praise. But instead, he's like, man, it's dark. I can't see a glimmer of hope. But I'm going to praise. The first kind of praise expresses what is within. The second kind of praise shapes us. It recenters us. It recenters our faith. It awakens faith. It bolsters faith in the midst of challenging circumstances. The second, faith, the second kind of praise has the potential to change you when the obstacles and enemies seem so large, when the situation seems um, impossible and you're losing hope. When you, by faith, acknowledge God in those circumstances and willfully praise Him, you give God the opportunity to correct your perspective, to open your blind eyes, and to see reality once again that God is huge, that God is good, that God is sovereign, that He is awesome, and that your problems, though seemingly huge, are really relatively small. Compared to him, you give God that opportunity when you praise him when you don't feel like it. So let me ask you, how are you doing with this? 
I mean, so these are, this, this constitutes the life of praise. There's times when you feel like it and you do, and there's times when you don't, but you still do. That's all of life. That's a life of praise. So, how are you doing? Do you live a life of praise? Or when you come here on a Sunday morning, because you don't feel it, you just watch for a while until you feel something. Think back to this past week or month, to a moment of struggle where you didn't know what to do. Maybe you, you, don't, you were struggling with how to make ends meet. Maybe you were stressed about the safety and welfare of your children. It could have been a whole variety of issues. I don't know what it is, but you have some kind of picture in your mind about that particular tough moment. And in that moment, let me ask you, did your heart say, you know what? I need to praise the Lord. Maybe not. Maybe for some of us, maybe for many of us, um, it was a struggle. If you're like me, I have a tendency to run to others, to seek their advice, to seek their feedback, to seek their support, to seek their understanding, to to seek their encouragement. This is often my reaction, rather than running to God in praise. If your heart is like mine, you're looking to someone you can trust, someone powerful, wise, wealthy, someone you can see, hear, and feel, flesh and blood. You need to see it right in front of you. You need it there with you. Because of this tendency, however, you and I struggle to praise When we value others in the place of God, we are in the foolish place of valuing those who are mere men rather than God. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 3. It says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Now, the psalmist alludes to princes here not because princes are like, you know, these deceitful men, like don't put your, don't, don't trust princes, you know, they're wicked men. That's not what the, this means here. But what he's talking about is princes were powerful people. who they, they had wealth. They had influence. Powerful people. And yet he's saying, put not your trust in those kind of men. Why? Because they're just men. It says, in son of man in whom there is no salvation. They're mortal men. In other translations, says mortal men. They have little power. They are sons and daughters. They come and go. They are mere men. But not just that, they are weak men. They have finite ability. It says there, in whom there is no salvation. They may look like they are strong, but you need to see clearly They are mere men in whom there is no salvation. You see, the psalmist is saying that we tend to run to each other, to our spouses, to our parents, to our friends, to our bosses, to even politicians, because we think in some way, shape, or form, they're going to give us what we need. But the psalmist is saying, don't put your trust in them. Don't run to them first. They are mere men. They are finite men. You know, um, church I used to attend when I was in college uh, has, is in the midst of a revival meeting this week. 
uh, this weekend. And a man named Francis Chan um, is, was the speaker, or is the speaker. And uh, Francis Chan, if, if you don't know, he, he wrote uh, some popular Christian books called Crazy Love, and um, that's the only one that comes to mind right now. But uh, he wrote a few more. He's a pretty, uh, he's a, uh, he's a, a prominent um, Christian figure right now uh, in our day. Um, but uh, I just was perusing Facebook, and uh, someone uh, posted this on one of my friend pastor's, you know, uh, Facebook feeds, saying something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, like, uh, you know, oh my goodness, I just saw Francis Chan get out of a car. You know, and, uh, you know, people who are in the, you know, people who know him are like, whoa. And then, but there's also friends of that person who are chiming in on that shit. Who's that? Right? Sometimes we blow people up way too much. He got out of a car. But he, even Francis Chan, is a mortal man. And I don't think he'd have trouble with me saying that today. We put our trust in leaders. And I say this as no offense because I'm going to say it about myself too. But Dr. Steve, Pastor Peter, and myself, we are mere men in whom there is no salvation. Our hope is in God. We need to be careful not to put our trust in princes. Not only are they weak in who, and in whom there is no salvation, but they're also dying men. They are not just finite in their ability not to save, but finite in their being. Their days are numbered. Look at what it says in verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Think about that. If we're going to put our hopes and our dreams and our praises in someone, at least it could be someone who could save himself or someone who could overcome all things, who is truly immortal. And yet, any single one of us could come down with a sickness really quickly and just perish. And then all of a sudden, wait, our hopes are dashed. But instead, our tendency is to put our hopes and our trust in those who are going to die. It just doesn't make sense. They can't even deliver themselves. Now, this person that we trust in may not be someone else. Maybe the reason why we struggle to praise God or we, or, or we find praise a rare experience is because when it comes down to it, we are that son of man, that daughter of man that we trust in. You trust in yourself. And if that's the case... Let me humbly speak the truth in love. You're not all that. None of us are. Today, God is calling you to a life of praise. And the first thing you need to do is stop trusting in yourself and stop trusting in any other man or woman. When we value ourselves rather than God, we will struggle to praise. We will not turn to God. But what God calls us to here is a life of saying hallelujah, praise the Lord. There is an object. 
And so what he does is he brings us often into situations where others can't help us, where those who we think could help can't, when the doctor only can go so far in maybe diagnosing, but treatment, maybe there's a limitation, where our spouse is not actually get it, able to get into our hearts and help us this time, or a counselor doesn't have the key to unlock the door. God brings us to these moments in order to show us that not only can others not save us, but we can't save ourselves. When he brings us to that place, that's not such a bad place because that is the place where God will teach us what is necessary to sustain a life of praise. And it comes from believing in something better. Look at what it says in verse 5. Blessed is he whose hope, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. And then five times more, uh, uh, the psalmist names him in verses 7, 8, and 9. Uh, Yahweh, uh, the Lord, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over the sojourner. So that there's no lack of clarity. He says, the Lord does this, the Lord does this, the Lord does this, the Lord does this. What does the, the Son of Man do? He can't save himself. He's going to die. But the Lord does all of this. There's no lack of clarity. And so he says, don't believe in others. Don't put your trust in others. Put your trust in me, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. See me as the one who has everything to offer, not someone else. See me as the one who has power to save. Trust in me, and then you'll find the sustaining power to live a life of praise. Here we're given this massive picture of God that if we were sincerely to meditate deeply on it and open our hearts in dark times and tough times, not to others, not to ourselves, but to God, then our mouths would say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Look at what it says here in verse 6. The psalmist says that God, the God of Jacob, is a God of power. Oops. The God of Jacob is a God of power. In verse 6, who may, He, the Lord, made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, everything that we see with our eyes, the Grand Canyon, the Milky Way, as many of us were looking at the blood moon recently, all of these things sprung up by the very word of God. And by his power and might, he created. He created it. And he created it out of nothing. Out of nothing. When's the last time you or anyone you know created something out of nothing? Ever? Ever? Your wife may have created a great meal, but she didn't make those whatever it was. <laughs> she took ingredients that God created, put them together. I was instrumental in creating the website, but I was just putting together things that already existed and just kind of moving them around. No big deal. God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it. He is not like us. 
He is powerful. But not only did God use his power to create, he uses his power to intervene. In verse 7 there it says, The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. We don't have that power, but our God does. He has the power to heal. He can deliver. He can set people free. And has God used that power in your life this past week? Has he? Has he? If you're unfamiliar, maybe you need to praise God today because you're not seeing it. You're not seeing all that God is doing around you right now to keep your heart beating, to keep your sight working, to keep this microphone on, the electricity throughout this building, to keep that air from stopping. We're not seeing it. Has God used that power in your life to intervene, to bring you out of a difficult situation, an impossible situation that would cause you to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord? When's the last time you said that just, it popped out? Wow. I mean, I'm sure it's there. I've shared this before at church, but in 2010, um, the house where we live on Nottingham, our roof was leaking from the skylight. I guess the ceiling, like, like the the, the, the seal around the skylight was broken, and so we were getting, every time there was a, a, a pretty strong rain, we would get a lot of flooding into our, uh, our master bathroom. And this was troublesome because on our budget, there was only so much we could do. And all the things that we tried didn't work. Uh, you know, after a few attempts, we realized that what we needed was a brand new roof, a whole new roof. But like I said, we couldn't afford it. We were stuck. But you know what my God did? You know what he did for me? Do you know what he did for me? He sent a storm. He sent a hailstorm. He sent a hailstorm and then a contractor who was in a small group, a youth group, small group that I led at a retreat like 10 years ago. And as a result, because of the hail damage and because of this contractor who knew me and kind of just pulled all the strings to get it done, the Ramos family, with little in our pockets, got a brand new roof and all the siding done and the resurfacing of our deck for like a fraction I'm talking less than a tenth of what we would have paid to have it done. Less than a tenth. My God did that. It was an impossible situation. What were we going to do? Work overtime, make Anissa get another job, whatever. No. My miracle-working God sent a storm for me. Our God is powerful, amen? Now, that hail might have ruined your car but it saved me. (laughs) Not only has he shown his power, but he has shown that he is a God of compassion. Verse 7, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. And then in verses 8 and 9, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Our God shows himself to be one who acts on behalf of those who are helpless, even forgotten. 
We've been seeing in the news all this time about this European refugee crisis, uh, the, the refugee, refugees coming out of Syria, and it's just heartbreaking. But I know that it is out of the heart of God that is, this attention is coming and that support is being rallied around the world because God cares for them in their plight. He moves on behalf of the fatherless and the orphans. Remember our brother Peter's sermon last week on adoption and even that family that we watched the video of and how they were kids who had extreme disabilities and yet a heart of love saw them and brought them in. That is the heart of God. It's a God thing. God has compassion. His heart goes out to those who feel defenseless and hopeless. And if God's heart is like that for those who are defenseless, isn't that his heart towards you? You don't don't need to feel alone. You are not. He looks at you in your brokenheartedness. And the scriptures say he's near to you. He cares for you. You're not alone. You are not hopeless. In those tough moments that you've experienced this past week and in the tough moments you will experience ahead, Know that you are not alone, but the God of Jacob has compassion on you. He is the one who watches over you, who upholds you, and who lifts you up. That's why you're here today. His grace enabled you to be here today. This is your God, and shouldn't your heart say, praise the Lord? Amen? But not only is he powerful like no other, compassionate like no other, but he is also faithful like no other. He has and will always keep his promises. Look at what it says there at the end of verse 6. It says, who keeps faith forever. He keeps his covenant promises and not one of them has failed. Who do you know that can make that boast? The summer after my freshman year of college, I came back to Chicago Oh, no, no, it was the summer after my sophomore year. I had become a Christian, and I was back for my sophomore year summer, and I was looking for a job, temp work, to be able to, you know, just earn earn some extra cash. I went to this temp service, and I was in an interview. And um, they were were questioning me about some some items that I checked on the uh, survey thing or the the interview form. And basically, the form said, you know, uh, will you come on time every day? And I checked no. <laughs> and then I got into the interview, and I, 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 I wanted to be honest, right? So I checked no. Not because I didn't want to come on time, because I was going to be defiant or rebellious, but I checked no because I got into the interview, and I said, why did you check no? I mean, don't you know that you should come on time? I said, oh, of course I know I should come on time. But I can't promise that. <laughs> This is after I became a Christian. I thought I had to tell the truth. I can't promise that. Every single time, I will come on time. Traffic might happen. Something might happen to my car. They must have looked at me crazy, and I didn't get the job. (laughs) But I know I can't make that promise. And there's plenty of promises I know I can't keep. And I'm very tentative in making promises to people. But you know who can promise you something and that you don't have to worry about it? It's God. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. That's why he alone is worthy of our trust. Not other people who disappoint us, who fail us, 
whose own bodies fail them, and so then they fail us. He keeps faith forever. He doesn't do everything you want, but what he promises to do for you, he does. You can trust in him. Most importantly, he promised us that he would send a Messiah who would suffer on our behalf and die for us, but who would also be resurrected from the dead. That was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. And then, thousands of years later, Jesus came, died on the cross, three days later, rose again from the dead. He kept his promise. He is who he says he is. He will do, therefore, what he promised to do, and we could put our trust and our faith in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, All promises of God find their yes in him. God has kept all his promises to you in Jesus. And he wants you, therefore, to put your trust in him, that you would praise him and live a life of praise. I just want to go off here in Romans chapter 8 and read some verses that I think some of you kind of know, but just that we might remember and be encouraged by as we acknowledge them together. It says in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, whatever it is today that you walk in with, God promises that it's working for good. Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave us his son to die in our behalf, what will he not provide for us? Everything else is kind of like smaller, then that big thing, that ought to cause us to put our trust in him and to praise him. But in Romans 8, 37 to 39, it says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing can separate us from his love. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Should not our hearts say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And finally, the psalm closes in verses 9 and 10 with this. It says, The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the one that we wait for. When all things will be made right. When our enemies, when the wicked will be brought to justice. The Lord will set all things in the world right again. And our heartbreak will finally be mended and our tears be wiped away. We long for that day to come when the praises of our God shall not only be given by our lips out of our lives, but even for all of eternity. Forever and ever we will sing hallelujah. But until then, God calls us to offer our lives as a sacrifice of praise, to live lives of praise, so that whether in our living or in our dying, we are able to say hallelujah, 
Not because everything is going well, but because we know he is Emmanuel God. God who is with us. The God who opens the blind eyes. The God who sets the captives free. That is the God who is with us. So we can praise God. Over the last several years, um, we've heard testimony upon testimony upon testimony within this church of God's deliverance, of God's salvation, of God's healing, of God's moving in each and every one of your lives. And these are moments of overflow praise. But brothers and sisters, you and I need to grow in the discipline of praise so that when when the praise leader comes up here on a Sunday morning, it's not like, ooh, tough crowd. No. Even if you don't feel like it, you submit to the discipline of praise, not because you have to or because you're supposed to, but because you realize, again, in a heart of tenderness and faith, you realize you need to. I've lost focus on the Lord, and I need to get it back, so I'm going to praise. I'm going to tell myself to praise, and I'm going to praise the Lord. By the end of that service, I promise you, overflow may start happening. Overflow may not happen at the beginning, and it rarely does. But when you submit to the discipline of praise, not only does it express, but it also reshapes you, and it grows you to become one who can live a life of praise. This mixture of the discipline and the overflow. All of my days and while I have my being, Let's praise the Lord. Let's pray. We're going to sing in just a moment. And uh, I think I preached a little longer than I expected to. Well, I, ex- I, I preached longer than I wanted to. But I don't know, it's hard for me not to expect that I'm going to preach longer than I wanted to. But, um, you know, I I just want to encourage you as we sing. Maybe even right now, you may not feel like singing. Maybe this didn't fully strike a chord in your heart. But I want to say, you know, even as you look back, the good and the bad, Have you had the opportunity to praise God recently? Maybe you just haven't been seeing God very clearly lately. Maybe he he, he isn't small, but maybe he looks small to you. What you need today is to praise the Lord. You need to call yourself out and say, Praise the Lord, O my soul, because you need it. You need a vision of your God to get you through the next trial or the current trial. You need to grow in that vision of God so that more overflow happens and so that you can see God at work. And even when the challenges come, you're not afraid of it because you know God is huge and you know he's with you. And you can have confidence in the the face of all this to say, you know what? I'm good. It hurts, but I'm good. Things aren't certain. But he is. 
So take a moment to just pray and call your soul out to praise the Lord. Not for my benefit when I look out and say, oh yeah, wow, it was great. It was a great praise time. That's not even the point. The point is you and God. That connection, that faith being established or reestablished or bolstered so that you can glorify him in the trial, in the next trial, confident in his care, in his love, in his power. So pray for a few moments before we sing some songs of praise.